Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our guest speaker, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Good to see everybody. Well, you know what? This morning, we have a special guest, my pastor and his wife, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. Pastor Jeannie and Dwayne, stand on up. Give them a shout, guys. Give them a shout. How long have you guys been married? Come on up, Pastor okay. Dwayne. Uh, we have been married for 45 years. 45 years. Wow. Uh-huh. How many grandkids you guys got? 19. 19. Wow. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. I've already heard, and I just want to encourage you. I was sat this morning and just took a bunch of notes. I want to encourage you to open up your heart. Maybe you, you, know, you take notes on your phone or whatever it is, but make sure that you leave with a doggy bag. Amen? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, first, I want to just say thank you for being here today. And uh, for Jeannie and I, it's a privilege. Anytime we get a chance to hang out with Pastor Mike and Jill, we are all in. And uh, we've known each other about 25 years, roughly. And uh, I just want to say that you guys, your pastors are the real deal. And uh, you are so blessed to have them. Uh, Today... I want to share a real simple message with you that I've simply entitled, Reversing the Devil's Decisions. Now, all of us know, if you're a Christian, you've heard God has a plan for your life, right? Yeah. And and you you can find that all through the Bible. There's a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29, where God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we, we know that. God's for us. He said, I'll never leave you. Or forsake you. And by the way, leave means to physically move away. But forsake means to turn my heart away from you. So God says, I will not only never physically leave you. He said, but I will never turn my heart away from you. How many of you know one of the biggest lies of the devil is that God has turned his heart away from you? But God says, I will never turn my heart away from you. Well, Jesus talks about the devil's plan for your life. And basically, he gives us the devil's mission statement in John 10.10, where he says the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Satan's plan is to steal, to kill, to destroy. If, If you open your Bible in the middle, it's the book of Psalms. And right before that, there's another book that most Christians, honestly, have not read. And it's called the book of Job. I think most Christians haven't read it because they think it's the book of Job. All right. And they're like, I'm staying away from that, you know. No, but it is Job. And Job is this really cool guy. He's a really rich guy. And uh, the devil, the Bible says the devil attacks him. And the first thing the devil does is attack his finances. Then the devil attacks his family. Then he attacks his health. In fact, the Bible says that Satan went and smote Job with sore boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And then his his marriage is attacked, which is a pretty good description of what happens when the devil attacks your life. He attacks your finances. He comes in with fear, sickness, depression, marriage problems, rebellion, uh, hopelessness. And Job is literally hopeless in the midst of this situation. Uh, So often today, as Christians, we simply assume that everything that happens to us is what God wants to happen to us. It's all God's will. 
That is probably the greatest deception today in the body of Christ. That everything that happens to you is what God wants to happen to you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. So to resist Satan, of course, you resist temptation, but you resist his works, the things that come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I know as a young Christian, uh, over 40 years ago, I read a book that was talking about praise and worship. And in this book, said, well, now, if, if you get cancer, thank God for cancer. Well, let me just tell you something. Cancer didn't come from God. And unless you recognize that it did not come from God, you will not resist it. Come on. Now, the Bible says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Not Joyce Myers. Come on. From you. That's right. The average, the normal believer, every believer has authority yes. to right. resist the enemy. That's right. But the last time the devil fled from you is the last time you resisted him. Now, most Christians live as if the devil does not even exist. You, you couldn't tell me the last time you resisted him. But the truth is you should resist him every day. That's right. Resist him all the time. But if you're not resisting, he's eating you for lunch. Come on. He's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who does he devour? Number one, he devours ignorant people that do not resist him. Now, I'm from Grand Rapids, born and raised. And in Grand Rapids, we have three major denominations that all believe the same thing, that everything that happens to you is God's will. I was brought up that way. We literally believed that when we fell down the stairs, we should just stand up, shake ourselves off, and go, oh, I'm glad that's done with, because God planned for us to fall down the stairs. Everything that happened, we thought it was God's will. We were taught that it was God's will. But listen, uh, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. devil. I was taught all sickness was from God. But I look at the Bible, it says the exact opposite. Everybody Jesus brought healing to was oppressed of the the devil. Now, that's not saying Satan was personally there. It's just saying that if you trace back where sickness and sin came into the world, it's the devil. In fact, if you look at your Bible... In the beginning, God creates the world. He puts man and woman in this beautiful garden. There's no sickness. There's no sin. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no death. None of it's here. The devil shows up in chapter 3, and what shows up? Sickness, disease, death, pain, sorrow. Revelation 10, excuse me, 20, verse 10, says that that old Satan, that old serpent Satan, he gets thrown into the bottomless pit where the beast and the false prophet are, and we be tormented day and night forever and ever. Chapter 21, what, it, what happens? God comes down. He says there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. <laughs> He's going to wipe away every tear. Do you realize that once the devil's gone, before the devil shows up, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no war, there's no prejudice. Once he's gone, There is no death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more disease, there's no more pain. All of it's gone as soon as he's gone. How many of you realize where it comes from? He is the author. 
He is the author of it. And it's our job to resist him. The devil shows up, financial difficulties, you're attacked. Physical difficulties, family is attacked. There's fear, there's depression, there's hopelessness. But the devil is like a, a bully that once you stand up to him, the Bible says he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. So, if you went home today, you opened the door to your house, and there were 12 rattlesnakes right there. Let me tell you what I would not do. I would not go, hey, Jeannie, we have guests for lunch. <laughs> I would go in the garage and get the rake, the one with them spikes on it, you know, and I'd be going, wham, 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 wham. Right? That's how you got to treat the devil. All right? You don't say, oh, company, come on in. No, 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 no. You resist him steadfast, strong in faith. So, number one, get on track. No matter where, no matter where you are today, no matter how messed up you are today, get on track. Get on track and then don't look back. Just that simple. Get on track. Don't look back. David. In David is king of Israel 3,000 years ago. Tremendous exploits. But when they make a movie about David, you know what they call it? David and Bathsheba. The one time that he blew it, that's what they entitled their movie. And did he blow it? He did. But you know what? They got right with God. They got back on track. That's right. They have a son. They named him Solomon. They sit down and they teach him. In fact, Solomon wrote three books in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Psalms, Song of Solomon. And in the book of Proverbs, in chapters 5 and 7, he says, you know, I sat down and my father and my mother instructed me. And you know what he teaches you how to do? Avoid sexual immorality. His mama and daddy, David and Bathsheba, who blew it big time, sit down and teach him how to do it right. And for 3,000 years, those instructions that mama and dad gave Solomon have been talking to men and women who are pursuing God. That's right. Yeah, did they blow it? They did, but they got back on track That's right. and did not look back. That's right. and, and listen, the very thing that was the problem in your life, the thing that was, was the misery in your life, God will use that and it will become your mission. Come on. All right? In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians that God takes his grace and he gives it to you. But what you're supposed to do then is you're supposed to use that same grace to minister to somebody else. All right? I, I, I have a friend who, who, whose marriage failed. And he's just like, anybody who's having marriage trouble is thinking about doing something stupid. He says, you have them come and talk to me. He says, because I've been through it. You see, when you've been through something and God's ministered his grace to you, it's not just for you. It's for you to minister to somebody else That's right. that same, in that same area. Peter denied the Lord, but how many of you know, 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, he's standing up and he's preaching. Right? He got off track, but he repented and he got back. Abraham, the father of the faith, he goes to a foreign country and his wife is just a, a hottie. All right? And so he says, hey, babe, you are so hot. You just need to tell everybody you are my sister and not my wife. Because they're going to take me out so they can lay hands on you. I, guys, listen, I don't know about your house, but that would not go over at my house. 
That is not going to happen at my house. Did, did Abraham get off track? He definitely got off track. But he got back on track. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He was off track, but he got on track That's right. and did not look back. Greatest church planner that Christendom has ever seen. Wrote almost half of our New Testament. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to take a missionary journey, and they bring along a young protege by the name of John Mark. And when the persecution starts, John Mark, tail between his legs, goes back home to Mama. A few years later, they're going to go on another journey. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take that guy along again. Paul says, we are not taking any wimps. No way. And Barnabas says, please. And Paul's like, no. No way. Well, they actually split company. But a decade later, Paul is writing, and he says, send me John Mark. He's useful to me in the ministry. And by the way, my favorite gospel is the gospel of Mark. You know who wrote it? John Mark Mark wrote it. Did did he miss it? He missed it big time. But you know what? He got back on track. Didn't look back. It literally, he he is with two of the greatest apostles, and he, he forfeits his ministry. But that didn't mean God was done with him. He got back on track. And you may have messed up in horrendous ways, but you know what? You can get back on track. You can get back on track. And the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, the one thing that we should fear is that anybody thinks they missed their chance. The one thing you should fear is that anybody thinks they missed their chance. The devil will tell you, you did this, you did that, this has happened to you, and it's over. But the thing you should fear is that you believe that, that you missed your chance to be used by God. You missed your chance to have God's grace in your life flow into you, but then flow out of you to minister to other people. All right. You can't change the past, but if you hold on to it, it will affect you every single day. Several years ago at the close of the service, like you, we have multiple services. I was hanging around the front and praying with people, and, and there was a guy who kind of stood back, and finally he came forward and and he says, Pastor, he says, you just got to help me. He says, my wife is divorcing me. And I said to him, I said, what did you do? And he said, nothing. And I thought, right. Now, now let me just talk to you girls a minute, all right? You, you think we know? We don't know. We really are that stupid, right? We cannot read your mind. And we don't think like you think. And and we make mistakes, and we don't know we made mistakes. We don't know. We're clueless. You've seen the movie? This really is about guys, because we are are clueless. Okay. So so anyway, we get his wife to come over, and I said to her, I says, is it true? And we're just going to call him Bill. I says, is it true that you're divorcing Bill? She says, oh, yeah. And I said, well, what did he do? She says, he's a man. And I said, yeah, but what did he do? She said, well, he's a man. And I said, she says, I hate him. And I said, well, why? Because he's a man. And I said, well, you just hate men? She says, I hate you, and I hate all men. Now, you do not need a gift of the Spirit (laughs) to figure this out, right? Some man at some point in her life did something to her. So I begin to ask, and at first she's denying it, but in a little bit it comes out. Uh, she's 13 years old. A member of the extended family rapes her. 
and it continues until she's 18 and she leaves the house. And she looked me right in the eye, Justin, this is what she said. She said, if I could kill him, I would. And I absolutely believe she was telling the truth. So I said to her, I said, your husband loves you. I said, you have two children that love you. I said, and God's got a great plan for you. But right now, your hands are full of yesterday. He says, and as long as they're full of yesterday, you cannot grab hold of what God has for you today. Philippians 3.13, Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, I reach for those things that are ahead. See, and as long as your hands are full, you can't grab hold of what's ahead. And she's full of hate. She's full of shame. She's full of resentment. And, and she has not let go. And because she's not let go, it's affecting how she sees her husband, her family, men in general, the world in general. So I talked to her about forgiveness. And, and, and she's like, I can't forgive. And, and I, I quoted to her Mark 11. This is what Jesus said. He said, every time that you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Every time, well, it's all-inclusive. Anything, I mean, all-inclusive. Yeah. Anyone, right. all-inclusive. Jesus said, forgive. She said, I can't forgive. And I said to her, I said, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision. Right? You decide to forgive. It's an act of faith you forgive. And you release them to God. It doesn't mean what they did was right. Because what you're doing is you're not releasing them. You, you are in a sense, but you're releasing yourself from them. So that what they did to you no longer affects you today. Because if you don't forgive, you take them with you. You take the offense with you. And the thing that you don't want to affect you affects you more than anything else in your life. Okay, so I, I'm talking to her. And I'm remembering over 25 years ago, Jeannie and I were in Seattle at a conference, and Dr. Cho was speaking. He pastors the largest church in the world. And this is what he said. He said, I must pray four hour every day because I hate so many people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought that's what kind of what it got me to. Okay. Never forgot it. All right. So here's what he's saying. When I pray, he says, I have forgiven some people, but there's still resentment. There's still feelings on the inside. And so every time that I pray, I remember that person that I have feelings towards that aren't right yet. And I say, God, bless them. I don't say, God, kill them. Give them a car wreck. No, no, no. I say, God, bless them and reveal yourself to them and save them and, and deliver him. And he says, I have to pray four hours because there's so many people that have done me wrong that I still got some feelings about. <laughs> right? So you forgive once, but you keep on praying afterwards, right? You pray for him every time you pray, Jesus said. Right? And you, you pray God's blessing on him. So I talked to him. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. And then afterwards, you keep praying. And, and so finally, I said to her, right, will you pray with me? And she says, yes. Right? So I take her hands, and I'm leading her in this prayer to forgive this person. And now Jesus said to watch and pray, so I kept my eyes open. I'm watching. All right. Well, the thing was, she kept her eyes open. All right? And we're like two feet apart, and she's looking right at me. And they're like, there's daggers. 
coming out of her eyes. Now, she repeats all the words, right? But there's like these daggers coming out of her eyes. And I remember said amen. She turned around. She left. She didn't even say goodbye. She didn't not blank you. Not, she just took off. And I thought, if there is ever a prayer that I prayed that did not work, that's it. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what I thought. I thought that one did not work at all. All right? So, I don't know, if it's six weeks, two months later, I'm preaching. And over here to my right, there she sits with her husband. She's got her arm around her husband, up higher, like you, but a little higher, you know. Kind of like his head on her shoulder. You know? And then I preach a little more over here, and I look over there, and I'm thinking, they need to get a room. <laughs> All right? So I talked to him later, and she, this was her testimony. She said, I don't know what happened, but when I prayed that prayer and then I kept praying, she says, my heart just began to turn. It turned towards my husband. It turned towards my family. It turned towards men in general. Something happened on the inside. You know what happened? She got rid of yesterday, and she grabbed hold of today. But you can't have yesterday and today in that same hand. You've got to let go. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I reach for those things that are ahead. The past is a dead issue. You can't gain momentum towards your tomorrows, towards your destiny if you're dragging your past behind us. Unfortunately, that's what so many people do. They're dragging their past wherever they go. Number two, when you get hit, don't quit. When you get hit, don't quit. Listen, everybody gets hit. Everybody gets knocked down. The righteous thing to do when you get knocked down is get back up. The unrighteous thing to do is to stay down. Woe is me. Nothing ever works out for me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms. Just go around. That's, that's the unrighteous thing. The Bible says the righteous man may fall seven times but rises again. Now, seven isn't saying the seven, only seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. It's just saying you, just, you get knocked down, you keep getting back up. Micah 7, verse 8, don't rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arrive. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Right? The Lord is going to help you get back up. The righteous, they may fall, but they rise again. The Bible says, but the wicked will fall by calamity. Uh, there is an a, a American hero that I just want to remind you of. He went bankrupt at 22 years of age when he started his first business. At 23, he tried to get involved in politics and uh, was defeated. He went bankrupt again at age 24. He might have figured out that wasn't his best line, you know. Uh, at 25, he was elected to the state legislature. At 26, his fiancée died, and he had a nervous breakdown and was on 24-hour suicide watch for over a month. He tried to get involved in politics again at 29. It didn't work. At 31, he tried again, and he was defeated. At 34, he tried again and was defeated. At 37, he was elected to Congress, but then was defeated at age 39 and defeated at age 46 and defeated again at age 47 and defeated again at age 49, but was elected president of the United States at age 51, Abraham Lincoln. Now, here's what I think is interesting. You, we read about the great things that he did in his great victories, but what equipped him to do that is we are in the Civil War, 
and the north is defeated again and again and again and again and again and again. In the darkest hour, because he knew how to not give up, he was the perfect person to lead our nation in that dark time. The righteous may fall seven times, but they rise again. David fell, but he got back up. Peter fell, but he got back up. Paul, he blew it, but he got back up. And again, the thing that, that's the problem in your life, that mess, God will use it to be your message. Your misery will become your ministry. And your test that you're going through will become your testimony. Number three, refuse to run when you're under the gun. Refuse to run when you're under the gun. Proverbs 24, verse 10. And th this is one of my, my life verses. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength or your faith is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, let me just say this. Everybody is going to have days of adversity. Everybody. Everything may be going smooth right now, but the day will come when there will be a day of adversity. Now, if you faint in that day, the Bible says your strength or your faith is small. Listen, adversity brings out the best. It brings out the greatness. We would have never known the greatness that was in King David if there had not been a Goliath. If when Goliath showed up, that the greatness that was inside of David needed to come out. You see, there's no great victories without great battles. We all want great victories, but listen, if you're going to have victory, there has to be a battle that takes place. And the truth is that we win our victories in private. And it shows up in public. I'll say it again. You win the victory in private. But eventually it shows up in some sort of a public forum. For example, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Your charitable deeds shall be done in secret. But then your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. What happens in secret is rewarded in the open. You could watch a boxer, and, and, and you see them win in that boxing ring. That's what you think. They knock their, father, their opponent down. But the truth is they didn't win in the ring. You see, for the last eight months, they've been getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, doing an eight-mile run, then two hours of weightlifting, and then four hours in the gym practicing their craft. Yes. And it was really in those days of practice that they achieved the level of excellence or superiority that they needed that was going to show up sometime in the public forum up there in the ring. But the real victory was won in private. And the same thing is true in our lives. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, let me close with a, a little illustration. Uh, about 25 years ago, I took my two youngest sons to Ludington, Michigan, and we went salmon fishing. So we're in this boat. We got our captain. We went north of Ludington, up to what they call the point. And we were out there for about six or seven hours fishing for salmon. And finally, the captain said, hey, time to bring in the reels and we're heading back. So we bring them in and we're heading back and we're probably only a mile or two in our trip back. There's probably two, two and a half foot rollers. When, as we're going about 25 miles, maybe 30 miles an hour across Lake Michigan, all of a sudden the motor starts going poof, 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 poof. Well, well the, the, the captain put it in neutral and turned off the motor. And he goes over and he lifts up the motor cover. And when he does, water just starts pouring into the boat. 
I mean, he goes over, tries to restart, but the motor is now underwater. The motor won't start. Just click, 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 click. He grabs the mic. You know, he's got all this electronic equipment. And he screams. And he says, Coast Guard, Coast Guard, Mayday, Mayday. And Coast Guard responds right away. And he says, what's your problem? He says, we are sinking, we're sinking. And, and they said, where are you? And he's got this chart up there with all the little ranch numbers. And he gives them their numbers. Now, they know within 100 yards exactly where we are. Coast Guard responds. We're dispatching a boat right now, and we will, they'll be there in 20 minutes. Well, he turns around, and the water's up to here. Maybe three minutes, the boat's going to be down. We're sinking. And I said to him, do you have life jackets? And he says, yeah. And I put one on each of my boys. I think Daniel was eight, and Samuel would have been like 11 or at that time. And I took each one and I threw them in. Pointed toward shore. We're two miles from shore. I said, swim that way. You say, well, why did you do that? How many of you ever saw a movie where a boat sunk? Yeah. And it's got that <laughs> you know, the thing is suck. I wasn't going to let that thing suck my boys down. You know? So I throw the boys in and I turn to the captain and I'm going to tell you this. I have never seen more fear in a person's eyes or heard more fear in a person's voice when he said to me, he said, I can't swim. The water's here. 60 seconds, we're going down. And I thought to myself, I thought, I am a competitive swimmer. I could teach him. My next thought, no time. <laughs> now listen, here's what most Christians do. We wait until our life has got a hole in the bottom and we're sinking. And then we're like, where's the Bible? God, help! Right? We, we wait until the last minute and then we want to prepare for adversity. But I'm telling you today, the day of adversity is going to come. Yes. It's going to come. And if you wait until the day of adversity to decide what you're going to do, to prepare for that day, it is too late. It's too late. That's like waiting till your boat is sinking and saying, I need swimming lessons. But what you can do is you can prepare for the day of adversity. Yes. Listen, Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. Now, if you will put God's word in your heart today and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and then repeat, if you put God's word in your heart every day, when the day of adversity comes, you're going to have God's word on the inside, right. and you're going to be ready for the day of adversity. Right. You're going to be ready. Or you can wait until the day of adversity comes and try to cram. But Jesus said this. And let me, I'm, I'm a little over, but help me. Last time I was short, so I'm going to take the time. Okay. Jesus said the kingdom of, listen, the kingdom of God, Jesus said this. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who plants a seed. Yeah. All right? He says, and, and it, it grows. He says, but he doesn't know how. All right? And he says, and finally, he says, first, there's a blade, and then there's a stalk, and then there's an ear, and then there's a full corn in the ear, and then there's harvest. That's right. How many of you know you cannot cheat on a seed? You can't cheat. You can't, you can't plant your tomatoes today and think you're going to have a crop in 10. How many of you know it takes 90? Mm -hmm. It takes 90. 
And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like that seed. He says, you plant it, and first there's just a blade, and then there's a stalk, and then there's an ear, and then there's a full corn in the ear, and then there's harvest. You see, in school, you maybe cheated on an exam. You didn't cheat. You crammed. You crammed, and you got through. And you can do that at a test for school, but you can't cheat a seed. In God's Word, the Bible says it is an incorruptible seed. And Jesus said the Word of God, the kingdom of God, is like someone who puts a seed in the ground. So you need to put that seed in daily, water it daily, and it'll grow. And first there'll be just a blade, and then a stalk, and then an ear, and then the full corn in the ear. And then when the day of adversity comes, harvest time, deliverance, victory, peace, prosperity, healing. It's there. It's there. 